and welcome back to The Square. Joining us this weekend, it's still the weekend, Jim. It is. We're in weekend mode. You'll, you'll hear this during the week, but we're in weekend mode. Uh, but Catherine Franco is not. Catherine Franco for University District, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Catherine, um, you know, shame on us, first off, by the way. I, I, I want to say on behalf of all of us here at The Square, shame on us for... This race, this district, university district, we overlook this constantly, Jim. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, as I, I will say, like, I, we've admitted a couple times, like, we don't spend as much time in the university district as we spend in, like, Ellicott or Maston or North. And so we know the race is going on, but it's, it's not in our forefront of our minds as much as, you know, uh, and, and, like, you know, like, you know, we've been friends with India, for, you know, since like, we actually had India on uh, her first interview that we did. Uh, the same day as the January 6th insurrection when she was running against the mayor. Okay. So, like, you know, we, we, we're really early on that train and just, like, you know, yeah, shame on us. Like, we, we just don't spend as much bandwidth on the university race. And it's, you know, it's a hugely important race. Yeah, I'm so curious about that. First, I was going to ask if you meant physically, but you mean mentally as well. Yeah, I think a little bit of both, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're, listen, we're, we're better than the Buffalo News on this, okay? Let's... <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. I just just because we're not a hundred percent there doesn't mean like we're not better than like ninety nine percent of the media outlets around yeah. here. Okay, but um, but no, you know we haven't been following and focusing on much on it as much, which is a real shame because boy, this is shaping up to be like one of the most interesting and and perhaps the the tightest race of them all. Yeah, so it is an absolutely interesting race, and part of the reason that it's going to be so tight is this was a race that was also ran in 2019, yeah. so this is a head-to-head challenge. We're back at it again, um, and it's just the two of us on the primary ballot, so it's going to be who's able to come out on top, and it is tight. It mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and we'll get to the race a little bit more in just a second, but I want, for the listeners who don't know Catherine Franco, who want to learn about you and, you know, your positions on things and, and just learn a little bit more about the university district. Um, Catherine, you know, you mentioned obviously that you had run in 2019. Yeah. And I, I often think about that race and I, I think about this year, uh, even just four years in the future, because that race was notable. You and four other women candidates, mm-hmm. a, you know, slate of women who, in, in a show of solidarity, submitted your petitions together. You are the only one that for whatever variety of reasons ended up actually making the ballot and running the race. Yeah. So there were only a couple of us that were kind of convened together that were able to make it. I know that Tina Sanders, who was in Fillmore, also was able to make the ballot. That's right. Um, And we had kind of come together because there was this real movement to say there have been no women on council um, at that time. I mean, it's the same since Mm -hmm. 2014. Now it's almost 10 years later and we're in the same position. But that was really what it was like. Let's get women on here because we need women in leadership. We need women in these spaces thinking about these issues, you know, having that holistic view. And it was such a time. I will clarify some things, right? Because there was um, a slate of us. And I think that part of that slate came together because we were all women sort of seeking office, um, all for council. And that was really exciting. What we also saw is that 
as everybody saw it unfold in the news, is that these petitions actually were school board petitions that we were offered as sort of our help. Mm-hmm. I know that there were some folks, and in 2019, and even now, you know, you are very wary of help that comes to you because is it is it good help? Is it mm-hmm. intentional? And I mean, what is this? Um, and I remember back in 2019, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Even here in 2023, there's moments where I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But quickly somebody, and even my printer was like, these don't look like the right uh, petitions for council. And so we went through them and we actually made changes to the ones that we had collected signatures on for the school board already. Mm -hmm. And we made changes to the next ones so that they were compliant with the council race for um, the designating petitions. Which again, we're all in the weeds with this language and all that other things. As somebody who is new to politics, if you don't know, you really just... Just don't know. Even though they say it's very easy to find online, it is not that easy to really decipher between petitions. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, I'm sure that's intentional, right? Like you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's you, such a protected process, right? And you know, and you know, and then you know, not only do you have to have the right petitions, and you have to have like the right people taking them, and and you know, like, and then there's all the rules about like you know, dating and signatures, yeah, and, and getting everything, you know, and making sure everything's done correctly. And it's not enough to have your 500 signatures. You have to get at least double because you're going to get challenged. Mm -hmm. Those signatures, the validity of them, the fact that you went out there in the bitter cold and collected them, that will also get challenged because, again, trying to protect this process, protect the incumbency. Right. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I know people like, yeah, if, if they ask for 500 signatures, you're like, bare minimum is 750. Oh, for me, I, I'm like bare minimum is a thousand. Right, right. <laughs> it, 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 with a thousand, they probably like they'll do they'll they'll file like a, a general objection, but they're probably not filing specifics at a thousand because it's so much. Seven fifty, they're actually going to sit down and actually take a look at it. But anything under like you you are definitely going to like in front of sit in front of the commissioners and see if your petitions are good. Yeah, so interesting. I actually this year we got a thousand and six signatures, which felt amazing. Um, and we got general objections and specific objections. They weren't able to knock us down anything, but right. it was very interesting, again, to see the way that the game is played and how the rules are sort of played with. Well, and the other thing about the, the game is that specific objections is you need to know what how to actually object, yep. which, it, you know, plays into, like, the incumbent and the machine. Yep. But and also, like, you have to have people who know those rules who have the time in that, that limited part. time period, uh, period, to f- actually go through all the petitions and file specifics, and if you're a, a challenger and you, most of your people are also relatively new to the process, you probably have jobs and families, yep. and you don't have both the time and or maybe the knowledge to file specifics. Whereas or the JD, <laughs> like, like the law degree, you know. Well, yeah, well, but or but like even if they, if you're an incumbent or part of the machine, they're going to have people. Theoretically, taking comp time, yep. probably just working for the government and actually just go doing political work, yep. going over the petitions all day long as their job and getting paid for it uh, to uh, to file the specifics. Yeah, we don't have the luxury of that on yeah. a grassroots campaign. Right? Yeah, that's no, <laughs> oh, weird. Yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, look, twenty nineteen. I, I just what. Regardless of political affiliations um, or, you know, whatever, spheres of power, whatever, however you want to phrase it. In 2023, we could have uh, four new women coming to the Common Council. Like, that's entirely possible um, that that happens. And, you know, we haven't had um, 
a woman on the council since university districts, Bonnie Russell in 2014. Yeah, we're bringing it back. Yeah, we're, we're bringing it back. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned, obviously, OK, 2019 um, new bright eyed, bushy tailed coming into this process. And, and you got to see how the uh, the sausage gets made. The Catherine Franco of 2023. Now you're you're battle tested. You're you're a veteran. You've been in the trenches. Whatever analogy like sports people like to use about uh, you know military battles and whatnot for things that are nowhere near that. Um, but no, seriously, you've you've seen a lot. Um, tell us how you kind of approach this campaign as opposed to you know a few years back or, or what lessons did you take from it. Yeah, I think that in 2019 we were really sort of operating in this siloed kind of gray zone where it felt like we were really isolated from things in part because again I I think that me personally and this is part of my personality I think that I really didn't know who to trust Mm -hmm. so I was feeling like you know we just got to go we know the things that we know we made the ballot so we survived that which you know is the biggest sort of thing Mm -hmm. um even though it's not the the hardest part of the campaign, it is the most important and you go through so many trials with it. So I think that in that space, there was just such a guard. Also, there was so much that we didn't know, you know, we didn't have a lot of technology, we didn't have a lot of structure, we had volunteers who were coming through, but we didn't necessarily have the structure of a team. It was just very much like whoever can do whatever, like we're going to go and make it happen. And remarkably, we were able to get 32% of the vote in that race. I mean, with nothing, no name recognition, people just looking for something different, we were able to grab 32% of the vote. And that was amazing. Here in 2023, I am absolutely fearless. I am not afraid. Um, I know who my people are. We have gone out on doors and the reception has been absolutely amazing. So it's just a very different campaign. Um this is something, yeah, it's just a very different campaign. The way that people are receiving me, the way that they're talking to me, and the way that I think about the issues, what we've seen right now is the incumbent is scared. Mm-hmm. He is operating in a way that he hasn't before. He's showing up on social media. He's at events. He's holding events. He is active. All these ads are coming out on my Facebook. I'm like, okay, we close this now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is really operating as if I'm a viable threat, mm-hmm. and it's because I am. Mm-hmm. So... The races are absolutely completely different. In 2023, folks who were volunteers in 2019 who are now on the team again, we continuously look back and say, how did we do this? Because it was just so bare bones. Well, and for sure. And and it's interesting. You said now you know who your friends are because look, the climb in 2023, I think is more amenable to, um, you know, a, a candidate a little bit more progressive uh you know our city action you are endorsed by our city um we have a slate of candidates you know with post in, in a post india walton campaign world i mean again this things look a little bit different now yeah. actually a lot of bit different than they did in 2019 just in the political landscape well and also like you know like we said earlier like with the with the help with the petitions that were, candidates were given in 2019 where they were given the incorrect petitions I think some skepticism as to who actually wants to help was probably pretty healthy. Yes. (laughs) Just yes, (laughs) period. (laughs) But it's different this time. You know, we did. We knew what we were doing. We knew that we could do it. And we we did. Mm -hmm. For sure. And so your, um, you know, your slate of issues that you care about, obviously, 
pretty extensive. But the ones obviously that jumped off the page um, live in the city of Buffalo, public safety, affordable housing, you know, a lot of these holistic issues that are concerned to everyday working class residents here. Now, what's fascinating to me is, so your background, you have both a um, criminal justice, like you studied criminal justice, Mm -hmm. but also you have an extensive social work background. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about how that informs your views or where, you know, not too many people have both sides of that coin. Yeah. Um, You know, how does that inform your, your positions or does it? Yeah, so I think it does. You know, I, you all did your homework. (laughs) Yeah, I went to school originally for criminal justice, um, criminal justice and psychology. And I thought very much that I was going to be either a police officer or a corrections officer. And I remember distinctly that somebody, a corrections officer came into one of my um, criminal justice classes. And I very much was like, oh, you've just shared to me that you are an absolutely different person inside of the jail than you are outside of it. And yet that is seeping and leaking into who you are. Um, And it was not in a positive way. And I also was sitting in a lot of those classes and learning about the laws and already having sort of an idea about how laws were applied differently to different folks, depending on socioeconomic status, depending on race, all of these different things. But it became very clear to me how arbitrary sort of the justice system is, Mm -hmm. right? You know, when I think about attorneys and when I was learning about these different things, To win a case, if you are going to trial, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the evidence or the facts, you have to have the best argument. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I I was really thinking of going into um, law enforcement as sort of a helping thing. I was wanting to be in the helping profession. And instead, I found myself in social work. And that was the way that really allowed me to help. I was seeing like tangible ways in which I was able to show up in people's lives, um, cause interruption into some of the issues that they were having. And not only me doing it, it wasn't just me sort of coming in and being this savior. It was really empowering folks and giving them um, tools and skills to be able to make their life work for them. So it wasn't really me. It was just like, hey, I have access to this information and resources. Let's pull this down and work on it together and see what fits and that sort of thing. So it's nice for me to have sort of this understanding of the law and have that background, know how those things work, and then also so have been doing the work of sort of public service in a very different way um, that for me, I think is really critical and how you talk about the issues and sort of the platform and why that is so holistic because we don't have just sort of one issue lives. There's nothing that shows up in our life that is just one thing. And if we solve it, then it's solved. No, because it's connected to everything else in our lives. Well, I think that's especially important important as well for somebody on the common council, because you do have to understand, you know, your constituents have a lot of different needs, have mm-hmm. a lot. You're, you're talking about people in, you know, all walks and areas of life who live in a district together, but have very different and specific needs. Yeah. Um, and when, you know, the constituent services line, when the phone line is lighting up, you know, you have to be able to, to handle and talk to that person and, and speak to them what their specific needs are and know and, yeah. and understand the community. Right. I mean, cause you know, especially like the common council in particular, like that's the front line for constituent services. Like that is, is, you know, in each of the districts, that is where most residents are going to, the first person they're going to call if they have an issue. I mean, cause most of them are like, I don't know what the hell a county legislator does. Why would I call them? Yeah. Uh, you know, my member of Congress is too big. They're never going to get back to me. I'm not sh- with redistricting. I never am sure who the, f- the state represents me. So I guess I'll call my common council member. Yeah. Yeah. 
And for me, you know, thinking about residents calling and issues that I see, the the thread through is that they're all quality of life issues. Mm -hmm. People are concerned about their quality of life. They want to make sure that they have decent housing, that they have decent roads, all of these different things that are sort of a base and to me basic um, have just not been met in a way that people feel that they are cared for. And so trying to come back to a space where, um, we have this relationship with government that has that care in it is really going to be is critical for mm-hmm. me. So you're you're originally from the Lower West Side, right? Yep. And you know, now you've lived in the University District what almost ten years. Yep. Why why University District? Like what what made that want to be your home? The place that you know ultimately became your community so much that you've now running for common council twice? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, really the housing market is what sort of brought me to the university district. It was in 2014, 2015 that I was looking for a house just as the market was turning. And I remember um, being on the Lower West Side and I think that people hear that sometimes and they're like, oh, it must be really great and beautiful there. And when I was growing up there, it was not really great and beautiful. It was very much akin to the issues that we see on the east side of Buffalo. Mm. Um, And so we Yeah, it was a poor neighborhood, completely working class. But when I was looking for a home, and really I only started looking for a home because I got married and my person was like, no, of course we buy a home. And for me, I was like, no, what do you mean? We just rent. It's Buffalo. Like we have great rental apartments and it's like affordable, Um, to which at that time it necessarily was starting to become not. Mm we were looking for homes throughout the city of Buffalo. And I remember I was on Zillow one day and I saw this house and it was absolutely beautiful. And I was like, this is the place. And we went there, we went to the neighborhood, we talked to folks and we asked them like, what is it like here? And people were like, you know, people are amazing. And we found that that's exactly what it is. My neighbors are amazing. They make my neighborhood what it is. I absolutely love it. And that's part of the reason for me that I am actually doing this race because I look at the relationship that I have with my neighbors and what our neighborhood is and thinking about how we, again, make that something that is common throughout the district. Some folks do have it, but other areas don't. And part of it, again, is that level of care that, as you'll hear from maybe other candidates, this culture of care. But also at the same time, thinking about all of the issues that still haven't been addressed, right? I'm talking about that I bought my house in 2015, yet we've still seen a market that has continued to trend upwards. There's been no sort of protection for residents, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether you are a tenant, whether you're a homeowner. We've seen so many properties go into the city auction uh, that didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. And so... I want somebody who's thinking about like, how do we keep people in place? How do we keep our neighborhoods stabilized? And for me, housing is going to be a big thing about that. But also, how are we addressing those other quality of life issues that make this make sense for people and make neighborhoods homes? Isn't it just easy rather than fix people's like quality of life issues and, and doing the hard work? Isn't it easier just to have like festivals and like distract <laughs> people? You know, some people would say that. <laughs> I mean, it is easier. Right? You can't <laughs> deny that, Catherine. Yeah, it right, is right. easier. You know? like, like, uh, like affordable housing and like quality of life issues. Like that sounds like hard work every single week. What if we just have a festival one week in a year and like ignore it the rest of the time? You know, party time, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forgive me. I just had to move away from the mic because I my laugh is boisterous. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think, and I will say this, there is planning that goes into that, right? So 
there right. is work. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, it is a two-day festival. I'm assuming that you're referring to the University United Festival, which is an incredible thing, right? Mm-hmm. The current council member decided to do that since 2014, mm-hmm. uh, 2015, since he's been in office. Um, and he wanted to do it to unite the university district. What I hear so often, though, on doors is that university district does not feel united. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually exemplify the Main Street divide pretty strongly in our district. We have a portion that is west of Maine, and then we have the majority of the district that is east of Maine, and the differences between the two are really stark. Mm-hmm. Um, they each have their issues, some of them overlapping, um, yet that Main Street divide is really there. So when we talk about the University United Festival in a district that has so many needs, has so many concerns that residents have talked about, it is wild to me to think that in 2019, this festival cost taxpayers $109,000. And when I tell people that, I'm seeing the faces right now. That sounds like a lot of money, right? Well, in 2022, it cost taxpayers (laughs) $357,000. And that's not the total cost of the festival because there are donations that come in from um, business corporations and that sort of thing. This year, we saw Jamal Development to be one of the donors uh, to the festival, which, wow. Um, Doug will never say no to a party, I (laughs) tell you that. Uh huh. (laughs) So for me, you know, I think. Dan Flash's shirt on. (laughs) I think about that taxpayer money and like what we could really spend that on. I've been a big proponent of participatory budgeting. I would love for that to be um, money that we could use for that process because we're the experts. We know what we need in our neighborhoods and we know what's going to help to solve our issues. So like give us the power to make the decisions around our money. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not saying that like festivals and, and community engagement like that doesn't have a place. Oh, same. But like it's to me like... Doing that as, like, your main project the entire time you've been in office is kind of akin to, like, when you're being underpaid at work and they're like, hey, well, instead of giving everybody a raise, we'll just have a pizza party. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say the incumbent will also say that he took down the speed zone cameras. The funny story about that is what he doesn't share is that he was the sponsor of those cameras. So he actually sponsored them to come into our neighborhoods. No questions asked. Um, And we know that they were pretty predatory and uh, fined, you know, working class residents and were placed in predominantly black neighborhoods. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's interesting. That uh, uh, well, you didn't I, know I, that, did you? I was able to take these down because I sponsored them. That's very much like the easiest way to lose fifty pounds is to gain a hundred first. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even say because I sponsored them, but you yeah. know, it's because he'll say that he went against the mayor. He's like, I stood up for the community. And if you really stand up for the community, you're going to be asking questions in the front. You're going to be thinking about this, like how is this going to affect our residents? Yeah. How is it going to affect us? Yeah. Well, and, and you obviously, you know, your background being in, um, you know, you've done a lot in the non-for-profit world, right? I have. And so you've been on the other side of this, like you've worked or, or I'm sure attempted to work um, with, uh, you know, political figures such as your opponent yeah. or, or similar, uh, you know, folks who you come with your specific concerns and they're like, that's nice, Catherine. We're going to have a big party. Um <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has ever told me that just outright, though. Right. Right. Well, th- th- you got to read between the lines on these things. You right. really, you, I know you have some very specific concerns here. This is all well and good, but we're, you know, we're going right. to right. blow 300000 on the University United. No, but seriously, I mean, your years of working like in nonprofit world is, you know, is that part of what, what drove you to want to be in the political sphere? Because it, it is a different world, yeah. right? Like it is a, 
I mean, look, I, I know all the folks. I'm sorry to anybody who works in the nonprofit world. You got the stars in your eyes. Maybe after a year, you don't. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah, the burnout is real there. But, you know, being in the, the political side of things and seeing like, again, how the sausage gets made, right. it's not always pretty. And, and you having to work with political figures, what, what, empower, empowered, what empowered you to want to be like, okay, I want to jump in. I want to be part of this political thing. Wow. Um, so this is a really interesting question. I don't think that necessarily it was my years in nonprofit work that made me do it. You know, I, <laughs> for as much as the burnout is real, that was the place where, again, I felt like I was doing good, mm -hmm, right? right? I felt that I was able to make a difference in the spaces and places that I was. I've worked in nonprofits that were federally qualified health centers, so we don't turn anybody away. So mm -hmm. I've worked in sort of the medical space for a while. Um, I've worked in nonprofits that were specifically working with community but around HIV AIDS. So doing outreach, having really tough conversations, doing education, all of that sort of thing. I've also worked in nonprofits that were um, law firms. And so we were doing that policy work there. And that's where I really got to work with elected officials, less on the city level, but more at the county and the state level, some fed level, but still not as much. And it was interesting to be able to be in those spaces. But even with that exposure, that is not what pushed me into running for office. I think what made me run for office is really seeing the issues that were impacting folks, seeing the way that my family was dealing with them, the way that my neighbors were dealing with them, and feeling like, why is nobody listening? Why is nobody seeing this? Why are we not seeing like problem-solving, intervention, solution? Like, what is happening here? I just felt like we were watching Buffalo being talked about as this renaissance, and I was like, no, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is not a true reality, you know? It's great that we have this development, but we are subsidizing developers. We are, you know, building these great buildings, but for who? Um, and so I really felt like our city was being left behind, particularly the east side, parts of the west side. And it was just like, this is incredible to me. I think it was a lot of frustration, a lot of exhaustion, um, but not necessarily the nonprofit world. You know, I could have stayed in, in that work. I was doing great work with banks, holding them accountable for redlining. Um, so I think I could have stayed there for a while. But for me, this was really just like, I'm tired and I don't understand why this isn't being done. Also, 45 was president. And so I was like, I can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also sounds like, you know, like you talked about, like, you know, your initial interest in criminal justice and law enforcement. Like you've had this undercurrent in your personal self that of always wanting to like help and serve yeah and you know and so i, I think a lot of people who you know because i there's a lot of cynicism about politics in this country yeah but i think most people who go into politics um do it because they 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 want to help people and they think they can help people yeah i think i think that some people misabuse it maybe once they get there and they get jaded themselves yep um and there are certainly some people who run for the wrong intentions. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's, you know, I think it sounds like you like you've had this undercurrent of trying to want to like serve and like and that's kind of I feel that same way. Like that's why I worked in nonprofits mm -hmm. and worked for the county and worked in government and, and worked in politics. And that like, you know, I always wanted to like, try to give back to my community. And yeah. I thought that was a way I could help out. Um, and I, you know, sounds like that was kind of something similar for you. So it is. If, if you look back at the resume and all of the different things that I did, you know, it has always been in service to others. Somebody asked a question the other day, what is something that we can't tell by looking at you? Um, and maybe they were hoping for something juicier, but I was like, I used to be a server, you know, 
I have been in all of these customer service positions, all of this work, when people tell you, I'm a people person, and usually you're like, no, you're not, because mm-hmm. uh, most people are not. I truly am. I really do like people. Um, but even, you know, I've done Peace Corps, which can be controversial depending on your take, hot takes, you know, that's fine. <laughs> um, but even in that, I think that at the same time, though, you're talking about folks going into this with good intentions. I am not absolutely so in the clouds and in the rainbows and unicorn land as, you know, sometimes social workers can be painted as. Um, I understand that this is actually really rough and tough work and that not everything is going to go the way that I want it to, right? Mm -hmm. That I have these really great ideas and yet I still have to work within a system that has not been operating with with the benefit and interest of residents at the forefront because I think you're right we see a lot of folks whose ego then inflates incredibly they take things personally when you are simply a representative of the people that you serve these jobs are public servant positions please do not think that this is your job alone anybody can run for these seats anybody can be in this seat and they are simply a representative of us Mm -hmm. we pay their salary as the taxpayers we're their boss I I do want to say real quick like you know I sometimes think like maybe like social work students have like like our rainbows and unicorns and have their head in the clouds. Social workers, having worked with a lot of them, are real and gritty. Like they actually know how things work. It's true. And do you want to know what? This is one thing that I love to say about social workers. Because oftentimes there is sometimes that perspective. Um, and also that we are simply doing counseling work. That is not true. Social workers are so adaptive. They can be in so many different places. Hello, I'm an example of that. (laughs) Um, But one of the things that we are really good at, I don't know, you said you worked with social workers. Anytime I've been in a place and they know that I'm a social worker, they're like, I don't know what to do. It doesn't matter what sort of industry it is. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. Give it to the social worker. Yeah. And that's because we are the problem solvers. We are the folks who are being so flexible and figuring out like, how do we find a solution to this? And how do we do it like most efficiently? And like being in the nonprofit world, how do we make Budget stretch. How do we do all these different things? Like problem solvers. That's what social workers are. Right. I mean, because like I think of stuff like you know, um, you know, people are like, oh well, uh, I don't know how to file, you know, file for Medicaid, for example, or like you know, or for any th- kind of public assistance. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't fill out the application. Like, all right, well, have your social worker help you. They don't train you how to do that. I was going to say the you, social worker doesn't know how to do it either. Right, no, they, they just figure it out. Right. You just get, yeah. They just, they just figure it out. Like there was no like like the, the county doesn't have like okay, bring all your social workers in. Yeah. We'll train them how to do everything. <laughs> They're like, no, fuck them too. They have to figure it out by themselves. <laughs> no, it's really true. And that's, you know, I think that that's the strength that most people don't realize about social workers that we're just going to go ahead and do it. We're going to figure it out. Well, and also you, as your council member, you probably want some good problem solvers. Huh? Yeah. Like, I mean, they right? don't give you a manual how to be a common council member. You there just, isn't. just figure it out. Yeah, there isn't. So um, I want to return back to, you know, the race itself. And we're talking, we talked about, okay, it's tightening up. Uh, 2019, the margin, you know, 700 votes roughly. Like it was 1,400 to 700 thereabouts. Um, Now, just to to bring it up as context, right? This time around, I think we're looking at a a much different race. Um, Again, much different numbers on here. Uh, Talk about, you know, this time around, like seeing like the, the coverage on this race, the coverage in 2019 was kind of abysmal uh, from the local media. Yep. This yeah. time around, I mean, it's, it's equally so. Equally yeah. so. <laughs> if not worse. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's actually fascinating. You know, we, we recently saw, and this might change by the time the episode comes out, but the Buffalo News had editorials for Ellicott District 
and Mastin um, with endorsements. It will not change. We we, <laughs> we have not seen that for university. Um, we've seen, you know, not Tim Pugh and our friends over at the Buffalo News, but that, that well, the coverage has been kind of pretty threadbare. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I was like, I think that the individual reporters who cover the, the politics for the Buffalo News would probably love to be doing more stories. I would wonder if it's not the editorial board and the, the leaders at the Buffalo News who are like, just don't cover this. So what I know is that even how you two said, you know, haven't been taking up space in your mind with the university district race. And I think that that's the case, right? We see what's happening in Ellicott. There's an open seat there. That's very exciting. There's four or five people um, and they are going at it, right? So I think that that's considered an exciting race. Also, we are looking at Maston. Mm. Maston is an exciting race because we have the former mayoral candidate, mm. India Walton, who is in that race. And we have... Um, uh-huh. Tim Kennedy, staffers, Zanetta Everhart, right. who is also in that race. So that is also seen as like big and exciting where, you know, round two of. <laughs> right. But this is again, like this could be like the most exciting race, I think. Just, I think it is. Like, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> seriously, like I like I said, we've been, uh, as they say, sleeping on this one, Jim, because yeah. this is this is really starting to like come together and solidify. And if, if we're sleeping on this one, we're absolutely catatonic on Lovejoy. Well, <laughs> we're, uh-huh. we're, we're, we're comatose for Lovejoy, but, um, but, but this race in, you know, in particular, and look, I, I bring up, I bring up the numbers, Catherine, only yeah. just to say that the margins on this thing, um, you know, we, we think like, Oh, elections, it may be folks who don't, pay attention the way they should to you know their smaller local races as opposed to like the big national races Yeah, easy to do uh, it's it really comes down to like the get out the vote your operation your people yep. and from what i can see you know from your social media and everything that's out there i mean your gotv is looking pretty darn good uh it seems like you have a pretty rock solid right. team and, and, i mean and you know we're talking about gotv like gotv doesn't start in two weeks Early voting started yesterday. Yep, sure did. (laughs) (laughs) Talk talk about your volunteers and your operation. Yeah, so the volunteers have been amazing. I think that one of the things that has been interesting this race is that because there are two other candidates who we are very much aligned, we are Mm people-centered, that is really what pulls us together. We have seen volunteers sort of bounce from campaign to campaign. Um, And then at the same time, because this race happened in 2019, I have been able to benefit from that. And having volunteers who were there in 2019, who now are like, we're coming back in 2023. The other thing, though, too, is that the races are so different. You know, we talk about the university district race and uh, my opponent is just kind of, as you said, like his claim to fame is the festival. He'll talk about the speed humps and taking down the cameras. He's been in office for nine years. I hope that, you know, in my two years, I can say, here's the three things that I did or even in that first year, because really, like. I feel that there could have been so much more that's happened where in the other races you have long-term decades um, incumbents and then you have this open seat that is like two names that are going against each other. Right. Um, where in ours, it's really like we need people to get out there because once folks talk talk about me or meet me it's a game changer it's an absolute game changer so the volunteers have been amazing we have been at so many parades these last few (laughs) weekends you know we went to the university united festival and we're in that parade um interesting thing we were initially denied to walk in that parade Uh (laughs) uh-huh and then i asked some questions and then they reversed that decision so then we were allowed to walk which was great um 
But we've just had really, really strong turnout. Not to say that we couldn't use more. So if anybody's listening, I know this is coming out right before um, the election. But definitely, we can use all the help that we can get all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and like, you know, like you know, the margins are so close. Like They are. I mean, you know, there might be, there might be, you, between you and your opponent, you may actually collect more signatures for your petitions than there might be votes in the primary. Oh, so don't say that. But I will say, you know, we actually, so this is interesting because this is a different campaign, different year. We probably could have thrown the opponent off the ballot in 2019. Um, and in 2023, we were like, we're going to actually do some general objections. We're going to take a look at this. We had more good signatures than he did. And so we actually did collect more good signatures and had that ready to go. Uh, Will it be more than what we see at the primary? I don't know. And, I mean, it, it could be close. I mean, I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be tight. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be tight. Um, you know, we'll see what what turnout turns out to be. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, university in, in twenty nineteen, uh, uh, at least like some of the other council districts that had primaries in twenty nineteen, also at that time had uh, county ledge primaries. Yep. There wasn't as much overlap with the university district at the time uh-huh. with county ledge primaries. So like, this is the only reason to come out this year in university yep. as opposed to in 2019, there were some democratic primaries in the county legislature. I forgot that, about that. That also brought some people out to vote. I just saw that, um, individual the other day too. So <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot that there was a race there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, His only council. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I was just going to say, too, you know, and, and not for nothing. I mean, I, I think that your opponent's uh, lack of much of anything in that district, I, I think, contributes to, frankly, like us not looking at it as like exciting. But yeah. the university district, the demographics, the businesses, like that is a big district. Yeah. That's, that is actually a very important district. Yeah. Um, we have uh, two main business um, districts on Bailey and on Main Street. We have the university itself, which is an anchor institution. The VA is there, another anchor institution. I mean, the university district is really, really interesting. And we have a lot of folks who work in City Hall that live in the district, right. which has been an interesting thing knocking on those doors. Yeah, I would, you know, and I would love to uh, see you, Catherine, uh, represent the university district because I, one, I think we'd have a lot more to talk about. Yeah. You know, it would be just for pure craven self-interest as a content creator here. How selfish. No, I'm just. (laughs) Out of pure self-interest, I would love to to see you uh, represent the fine folks university, but for the residents of university, I think they would be getting a a much more active and engaged and, you know, ultimately... um, better representation from you, Catherine. So thank you. Um, super excited. So, all right. You said, Hey, you want to, you want to volunteer. You want to help get out the vote. You want to do whatever at this last big push at the end of the campaign cycle, where can our listeners help out or reach out to you or your campaign? Yeah, super easy. You know, you're talking about this upgrade that's going to happen with this representation. That's because we're going to go forward with Franco. So folks can go forwardwithfranco.com. There's an easy way to volunteer, reach out if you want to learn more about what the platform is, how we're going to be moving not only the university district, but Buffalo forward forwardwithfranco.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I know I'm an elder millennial. Please don't judge me. Um, and it's going to be Catherine Franco for University District. And and if if you can't volunteer, open up your checkbooks. I'm sure you probably still have all that money from the stimulus checks because that's what <laughs> you know business leaders are always saying why people aren't working still. Uh, that that $600 yeah, that's that you've had for like the last eight years. Oh, um, but give some of that. Fantastic. Yes. Every donation helps. 
Awesome. Well, Catherine Franco for university. Thank you for joining us here on the square and hopefully we'll talk to you, uh, you know, when you're a newly minted council person. So yeah. excited about it. All right. All right thanks, Catherine. Thank thanks so you. Much.